0: Thank you for accessing this audio resource from Glad Tidings Church. This is Pastor Tim Rice. I hope you enjoy the message and receive some benefit from it. If you do, please let us know. Send your comments to info at gladtidings.church. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles tonight, I want you to turn... Uh, we're going to be turning to a couple of different passages this evening, but we're going to start uh, start out tonight back in Exodus again. I know that's Sunday morning series, but we're going to we're going to look again from Exodus chapter three tonight for just a few minutes, okay? Because tonight I'm going to pick up a thread from Sunday morning and uh, from the book of Exodus and uh, cover it tonight. You know, it's impossible for me when I'm when I'm doing a series on the book uh, on a book. On Sunday mornings, it's impossible for me to cover everything in that book. Um, you know, it's, uh, whenever you're reading the Bible, you're probably like me. You see things and you're like, oh, that's that's good. Oh, oh, I could talk about, oh, we could. So there's a lot of places we could go, a lot of things we could cover. And uh, so what I'm, what I'm doing tonight is I'm just going to kind of pick up on one of those jewels that I didn't cover on Sunday morning, but I really wanted to. And uh, so we're going to look at that this evening. Specifically Sunday morning, you might remember that I, uh, I read about the burning bush, um, that passage, and I made a reference to that passage. And I said, you know, that there's a lot there that we could just, I could preach a whole sermon just on the burning bush and the significance of that. So what I want to do tonight is is I want to pick that up, the burning bush, and we're going to talk about the typology of the burning bush. We're going to talk about the significance of the burning bush for just a few minutes um, this evening. Okay, So we're going to look back. At Exodus chapter 3. We won't do this every Wednesday night, obviously, but occasionally I might go back to the book of Exodus and pick something something up that I missed on Sunday morning or didn't get a chance to cover. So we're going to look back at Exodus chapter 3. We're just going to read the first three verses about the burning bush, and then we're going to talk about the significance of the burning bush, bring in some other passages, some other scriptures, and hopefully it'll be beneficial to you tonight. So let's look. Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. Now Moses So, again, um, uh, we, we see in this passage that God appears to Moses uh, in a flame of fire. So, he is visually... Re- How many knows God is a spirit, right? That's what the Bible says. God is a spirit. So, he, he doesn't have some permanent form. Um, however, he appears in, in different forms at different times throughout scriptures And and here he appears in the form of a flame of fire, which the Bible says it's a flame of fire. And this is, notice this very specifically, that comes out of the midst of a bush. And probably that was, they say the most common bush in that area is just a, a bramble bush, a thorn bush. And so it came out of the midst of a bush. And this is a, this is a, how many knows that's a significant phenomenon in itself. If you were walking down the road, and uh, you're taking a hike in the woods, and you just saw a bush that was that combusted <laughs> and and began to burn, how many knows that's a significant sight in itself? Just the fact that a bush, by itself, is is burning. Um, however, what what in particular captures the attention of Moses? is that the bush is, not just that the bush is burning, but, but that the bush is burning, yet it is not consumed. So that is, um, that's, that's what actually convinces Moses to turn aside. And that's what I kind of talked about Sunday morning, that the decision that he made there in that desolate place to turn aside and to see this thing. And, and that's when God revealed himself to him, spoke to him. But what convinced him to turn aside was not just the fact that the bush was on fire, that there was a fire coming out of the midst of the bush, but that the bush itself was not being consumed by the fire. So the bush was burning, but it was not burned up. So what I, what I want to consider tonight for just a few moments is why wasn't the bush burned up? Why, why wasn't it consumed? What does it mean? Does it mean anything? And, and if it means anything... Uh, does it have any significance for us um, as believers. I I believe that it does. So I want to spend a few moments and just talk about that tonight. Let me begin by saying that fire is, you know this, your Wednesday night crowd, uh, but fire is a a very common biblical image that is often used to represent the person and the presence of God. Of God, So this is not an uncommon image as it relates to, um, to God. The, the Bible often uses fire. God often appears as fire. And fire is often used to represent the person of God and, and the presence of God. Now this is the first time that God reveals himself to Moses this way. And, and in the book, but it's not going to be the last time. And in fact, in the book of Exodus, this becomes a common image, uh, the most common image of God in the book of Exodus. In fact, it's in Exodus where fire maybe is most commonly associated with the person of God, the presence uh, of God. We see it here, first of all, in the burning bush. We'll see it later in um The fact that when God leads the children of Israel out of Israel, remember how he leads them out, said he appears to them as a pillar of fire um, at night, at least. At night, he appears as a pillar of fire that goes before them. And so they follow that pillar of fire because that pillar of fire represents God, the presence of God. So he directs them uh, in that way. And then later... When they return to Sinai, when they come to Sinai, they receive the, uh, Moses receives the Ten Commandments. It's at Mount Sinai that on the mountain there's fire and there's smoke and there's thundering and there's lightning. And so on Mount Sinai, fire represents uh, the, the tangible, the real presence of God. So fire, this is the first time that God reveals himself to Moses. In this way of fire, but throughout the book of Exodus, fire represents the person, the presence uh, of God. So first time for Moses, but this is, this is actually not even the first time that fire is used that is associated with God in, in the Old Testament. Um, there are several associations of God with fire. Some that are kind of implied, some that are directly. Uh, In fact, the first occurrence of the presence of God as fire arguably might be in the sacrifices of Cain and Abel. Do you remember they both made sacrifices to God and um, God approved Abel's sacrifice. He received it. He accepted Abel's sacrifice, which was a sacrifice of what? Livestock, right? And then it says of Cain's sacrifice, God didn't accept his sacrifice. So the question, it doesn't specifically mention fire, but the question is, or the possibility is, is, is did fire, was fire how God signified that he accepted or that he approved of Abel's sacrifice? If you remember later on, that's how God demonstrated his acceptance and his approval of Elijah's sacrifice, Remember? Elijah made a sacrifice on Mount Carmel and all of the prophets of Baal put their sacrifice out there they prayed to their God and Elijah said let the God who answers by fire, let him be the one that we serve. And so they prayed all day and there was no fire, nothing happened signifying that their God was powerless, that he wasn't a God at all in fact. But when Elijah prayed, God answered by fire. Fire. So the question is maybe that's Um, In the book of Genesis, that's how God signified his acceptance of Abel's sacrifice, that when Abel made his sacrifice, God accepted it, approved it, consumed it by fire, whereas Cain's, uh, there was no fire, no acceptance. Um, But but again, that's implied. Um, Fire is used in Noah's um, sacrifice when God commands, when Noah comes off of the boat, God commands him to make a sacrifice and it consumes it by fire. And, and it's there, what's significant there is that God makes a covenant with Noah there at that, at that sacrifice. Then um, another possibly implied appearance of fire is the Tower of Babel when God comes down and judges. Humans at the Tower of Babel, it says they're building a tower to the sky. God judges them and he scatters them. Remember, he scatters them, changes their language, and scatters them. And, and so it's again implied, perhaps speculative, but it might be that it was that God judged them by fire, destroyed the tower by fire, just as he did with Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's another occurrence in which God used fire as a sign of his judgment against people. So the, the point is, is that fire represents the activity, the action, the approval, uh, the presence uh, of God. And then there's a significant, a significant occurrence of fire as representing God. And his presence that happens in Genesis chapter 15. This is, this is actually where God makes his covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. In fact, if you have your Bibles, I want you to flip back over. You don't have to go very far to Genesis chapter 15. And let's look there because that's a, a pretty direct reference to God as appearing in the form of fire in Genesis chapter 15. And let's begin... Well, let's start in verse number 12. But God is making a covenant with Abraham. And in verse number 12, it says this, And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. By the way, what is he talking about? (laughs) They're talking about Egypt, right? They'll be going down to Egypt. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Verse 15, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Verse 17, and when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch, Passed between these pieces. Those were the pieces of the covenant, the sacrifice that Abraham had been told to make. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, and the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And so here God appears to Abraham as a smoking fire pot, a torch of fire that passes between those pieces and makes a covenant with God. Well, My my point is very quickly, uh, is very simple. Maybe I've taken too long to make it. Fire is a common image used to represent God in, in the Bible. So fire is associated with the person of God. It's associated with the presence, the presence of God, and in particular, it is used to represent God or his presence in those times when he appears to man to either confirm his covenant with, with men, as he did with Noah and, and Abraham and as he will do with, in other places, or to carry out his judgment against man. So fire represents God in his presence, whether it is to confirm a covenant with man or whether it's to carry out his judgment um, against man. And it's in that that second association, the judgment of God, that, that fire becomes a particularly appropriate representation of God's presence because fire does what? Fire burns things up. It consumes things, and so fire is an appropriate representation of judgment. Because when we say, "Lord, send,", uh, send uh, when the when the disciples wanted to uh, judge those that were mocking them, they said, "Lord, let's call down fire." <laughs> Have you ever wanted to call down fire on somebody? Don't answer that uh, tonight. Um, so fire is an appropriate representation of God's judgment because fire burns things. It, it consumes uh, things. And so it is that the Bible testifies that, the, that it is the glory of God's perfect holiness That will destroy any sin or unrighteousness that enters into its presence. Which is why God is described as a fire. Anything unholy, anything unrighteous, anything sinful that that dares enter into the presence of God is consumed by the glory of God's perfect uh, holiness. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 24 will say our God is a consuming fire (laughs) because no one, he is so perfectly holy that no human, no flesh can enter into his presence unless it is consumed and completely burnt up. And that's what we see, in fact, in Sinai, right? When God is uh, manifested on the mountain of Sinai as um, a fire, consuming fire, God actually tells uh, Moses, he said, no, make sure the people don't touch the mountain, that they don't come near the mountain, because why? If they touch the mountain, if they come near to me, my the, the fire of my perfect holiness will consume them. They'll be, they'll be burnt up. They'll be consumed. It's like that movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You ever seen the movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, when they open up the Ark of the Covenant and... And the Nazis begin to kind of melt away because they're melting in the presence of uh, what they say is the presence of God. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29 says, it does testify that no flesh can glory in the presence of God. Our human flesh, human sinfulness, our pride, our unrighteousness is incompatible with the perfect holiness of Almighty God. Because God is a consuming fire and it will burn up and consume our unrighteousness and our unholiness. And so that leads to the question that I want to talk about uh, for the last several minutes tonight. And that is, if God is, as Deuteronomy 4 says, and as Hebrews actually uh, bears out, it quotes Deuteronomy. If God is a consuming fire... And, and if that fire and the bush, the burning bush was God, then the question is, why wasn't the bush consumed if God is a consuming fire? Well, the, the answer is actually pretty simple, but, it is, it, but it's also profound, um, I believe. The bush was not consumed because the bush did not contribute anything to the fire. The bush was not consumed because the bush didn't contribute anything to the fire. Remember, the Bible says, Exodus says that the fire came out of the midst of the bush. I mean, that's different than saying that the bush was on fire, right? It wasn't the bush that was on fire. The fire came out of the midst of uh, the bush. So that means, now follow me tonight, that means that no part of the bush contributed anything to the combustion of the fire. There was no part of the bush that contributed anything uh, to, to the fire. The, the bush was merely a form that the fire filled up. you see that? The bush was just a form that the fire filled up the form of of that bush without consuming. It wasn't burning any part of the bush. No part of the bush contributed anything to the fire itself. The bush was just a form that the fire filled up. So the bush was not fuel for the fire. The the fire wasn't feeding on the bush. The bush was just a a form that the fire filled up. So to say it a, a different way, and hopefully you'll begin to see why this is significant for us as believers or how it applies to us as believers. To say it a different way, God chose the bush in which to manifest His glory. God did not choose, God did not need the bush to manufacture His glory. He just chose the bush as an instrument to manifest his glory. So the bush didn't burn up because the bush wasn't fuel for the fire. Um, It didn't contribute anything to the fire. It was just an instrument that God used to manifest his glory and to reveal his presence um, to Moses. So in that way, the burning bush is for us, I think it's a powerful image Of how we as Christians can relate to the presence of God you see what was impossible in the Old Testament that is that that we can't enter into the presence of God that we can't be in the presence of God or we would be what consumed completely burn up what was impossible in the Old Testament how many knows now has been made possible in the New Testament amen we who at one time could not enter into the presence of God, now because of Jesus Christ a way has been made for us to enter into the presence of God. A way has been made for him to manifest his presence in our life. It's not because of us. It's not we don't give anything to the fire. We don't contribute in, how many knows, we don't contribute anything to our salvation. It's all God Almighty, amen? It's all Jesus Christ. The work of salvation, the work of God's grace has been accomplished completely by Jesus Christ. I don't give anything to it. I don't contribute anything to it. It's all God. I'm just, I'm just the vessel that God has chosen in which, upon which to manifest the glory of his grace and the goodness of of his salvation. In the Old Testament, the presence of God had to remain separate from the people. So he said, keep the people off of the mountain. And so the presence of God had to remain separate from the people. And remember, it was for their sake so that they would not be consumed Um, in the temple. The high priest could only go into the Holy of Holies one time a year. And then, uh, if you remember, the garments that he wore had bells and pomegranates around the hem of his garment because if he went into the presence of God, because the Holy of Holies is where the, the fire, the Shekinah glory of God rested on the Ark of the Covenant. And if that high priest went into the presence of God, and he had not properly prepared himself according to God's uh, commands and God's law. If he wasn't properly prepared to enter into the presence of God, he would drop dead immediately. And so they would have to, the bells stopped. I mean, it gives a new meaning to the that phrase, for whom the bell tolls, right? <laughs> if the bell stops ringing, then, you know, the guy was not, and he was, boom, consumed by God's presence and in God's powers. So in the Old Testament, the presence of God had to be kept separate from the people for their sake, lest they would be consumed by the glory of, of God's presence, the fire of God's presence. But here's the wonderful thing, but God, in the Old Testament, God promised he was going to make a new covenant one day. Amen? In fact, in Jeremiah, Um, he says that there was coming a day when he would take his law that had been written on tablets of stone and he would write them on the hearts of his people. Aren't you thankful that we have, have a new covenant through Jesus Christ? And then Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 37, Ezekiel talks about this new covenant as well. And in this As he's talking about this new covenant, he says that God says that when this new covenant comes, he said, I will set my sanctuary in their midst, and my dwelling will be, my dwelling place will be with them. So the presence of God, um, which is represented by the fire, presence of God, which had to be kept, used to have to be kept separate. From God's presence. God says, now the new covenant, I'm gonna make my dwelling place with them and in their midst. And so that specific prophecy um, about the sanctuary, God making a sanctuary, is still awaiting a future fulfillment in the people of Israel. But how many knows it has already been fulfilled to an extent in his people? Because now the Bible says, we are, Paul says, Don't you know you are the temple? of the holy spirit you are where the presence of god dwells think about that you are you're like that burning bush you are that instrument upon which in which god chooses to manifest his glory and his power isn't that isn't that wonderful that god has chosen to fill us with his presence and again it's it's not because of us we, we don't add anything to it in our flesh our flesh is still sinful prideful selfish and arrogant it's only, it's only possible because jesus christ <laughs> paid the price for us and is is only possible for us in as much as we are trusting in the righteousness and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Amen? It's all Him. It's none of us. It's all Him. Jesus makes it possible for us. And Jesus promised to us. He said, um, He told us about the Holy Spirit. He promised the Holy Spirit to us. And He said, you know about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with you. But then Jesus said, but He shall be in you. And that was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when, remember, on the day of Pentecost, they were all praying. The Bible says the Holy Spirit came and set upon each one of them, how? As cloven tongues of fire, signifying the presence of God setting itself upon filling each individual that was a willing servant of Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit filled each and every one, and consequently we are, now, we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus said we are the branches, right? We, he is the vine. He's the one who gives the life. We're the branches of that tree, of that bush, if you will, that planting of the Lord's. So we are the branches that are now filled with the Holy Spirit, Not again, not by our works of the flesh, because none of us can be saved by the works of our flesh, but we are saved by grace through Jesus Christ. It's all him, and it's, and it's not any of us. That's why Paul tells us to put no confidence in the flesh. Because the flesh, how many know sinful flesh, is still incompatible with the presence of Almighty God. Sinful flesh is still incompatible uh, with the presence of Jesus Christ. So Paul tells us that in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. Put no confidence in the flesh. But if you want to brag on anything, Paul says in that passage, if you want to brag about anything, brag about Jesus Christ brag on him. So we put our faith in, in Jesus Christ. And to the extent that we trust in Jesus Christ, to, to the extent that we rely on the finished work of Jesus Christ, knows I mean, we can, we can manifest the presence of God in our life. We can be like that burning bush, can't we? That God chooses to manifest His glory. God chooses to manifest His power in our lives when we trust in Jesus Christ. Um, After all, the Bible says it's not by might nor by our power, but it's by His Spirit, says the Lord. So when we trust in Jesus Christ, when we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit... We can manifest the glory of God in our lives. On the other hand, to the extent that we trust in our flesh, we try to do it through our own human efforts and our own human abilities. How many knows we'll just, we'll burn up and we'll we'll burn out, won't we? If we try to do it in our own power and through our own strength. And unfortunately, that's what we resort to sometimes that's what Paul said was happening to the Galatians, remember? He said, have you, you began in the Spirit. You started, you started well. You began in the Spirit. He said, but now, he said, now you're trying to do it in your own human power, in your own ability, and, and you're failing. When we ever, whenever we try to do it through our own strength and our own power, we're going to burn up, burn out, because we're not relying on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We're not relying on on what God has done for us. But to the extent that we will trust in Jesus Christ, rely on him, he, he will choose us to manifest his glory and his power in, in our life. And God desires to do that. In fact, I want to turn, before we end, I want to turn to one more passage. If you have your Bibles, flip now over to the, to the New Testament, the book of 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I want to, I want to read a, and I'll tell you what, let's just read the entire chapter. Because I think it, I think it's applicable to us. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, the second Thessalonians chapter one. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God, our father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions you are enduring. And this is the evidence, verse 5, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy "...of the kingdom of God for which you, also, you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to, with, to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire." inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Let me just, uh, well, let me read verse 9. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. What is this passage saying? It's saying one day Jesus Christ is coming again. That's right. If we remain steadfast, if we remain committed to him, if we continue, again, to rely on Jesus Christ, place our faith in Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is going to come one day and he's going to judge the wicked. All of those All of those that have afflicted you, God says, I'm going to afflict them one day. I'm going to repay them. So all of the disobedient, all of the wicked, it says God will judge one day when Jesus Christ appears, how? In in flaming fire. And the book of Revelation talks about that, doesn't it? That Jesus Christ, when he returns in his glory, (laughs) um, he comes in flaming fire to judge um, the sin and the wickedness of this world, but us who are trusting in Jesus Christ, relying on Him, He comes to manifest His glory um, in us. So that verse, look, verse number twelve again. So that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, uh, in you, and you in Him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, God is coming, Jesus Christ is coming again one day, and He's coming in a flaming fire. (laughs) He's coming to judge the wicked, to repay the evil that has been done in this world. But he He is coming to be glorified in His saints. Aren't you thankful for that? That no longer... No longer do we fear the fire of God's judgment when we are trusting in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When we're trusting in him for our salvation, there is no more fear of fiery judgment. Somebody say hallelujah tonight. There is no longer any fear of fiery judgment for those that are trusted in Jesus Christ, there is only the hope of eternal glory. That God's going to manifest his glory in us and, and through us. So Jesus Christ is coming to judge the disobedient, but he is coming, he is coming to be glorified in his, in his saints. And so Paul says, to that end, look at verse number 11. So God is coming, Jesus Christ is coming to be glorified in his saints. And so he says in verse 11, to this end, we always, we always pray for you. And what does he pray? He prays two things. Number one, that our God will make you worthy of his calling. And number two, that he may fulfill every resolve for good in every work of faith by his power. Again, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified in you and you in him, So Paul says, so to that end, I always pray for you. And I pray in two things. Number one, he said, I pray that God will make you worthy. And number two, I pray that God will fulfill every good work in you. Interestingly enough, those are two things, those are two things that fire does. Fire, number one, fire purifies. Fire refines us. And so when Paul's saying, I'm praying that God will make you worthy, what he's saying is, I'm I'm praying that God will purify you. All of those works of the flesh, all of those um, works of disobedience, that if we'll if we'll give ourselves over to the influence of the Holy Spirit, if we'll cooperate with the Holy Spirit, he will he will sanctify us and make us into the image of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, So I'm praying for you that. That the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God will purify you and make you worthy of, uh, of His return. And then, number two, He said, And I'm praying for you that you will fulfill every good work. Fire will produce energy and it will produce effects in our life um, as well. And so, Paul is saying, So I'm praying that God will perform. That the power of the Holy Spirit will produce in you every good work that God has prepared uh, for you. So I felt like it would, be, it would be good for us tonight as we end this message. Let's pray those two things for ourselves and over ourselves. God, we want, we, we're thankful tonight that we no longer have any dreadful fear of the fiery judgment of the presence of God. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, there is now no fear of his fiery judgment. There is only the hope of his eternal glory. But God, we want you to glorify yourself in us. We, we want to shine brightly, just like that burning bush. We want to shine brightly so that others can see the presence and the power of God in our life. And so to that end, God, I'm praying, Lord, purify me, sanctify, uh, sanctify me, make me worthy of the glory that you're going to invest in me for, for all of eternity. And heavenly father, please fulfill every good work in me that you have desired, that you have decreed, have your way in, in my life. Here's what that those two prayers boiled down to. Here's the essence of those two prayers. God's, I want less of me, and I want more of you. I mean, that's that's what happened with that burning bush. That's why the bush wasn't consumed, because it wasn't about the bush. The bush was just a form that the fire filled, right? It didn't give anything to the fire. Uh, And so we're going to pray, Lord, I want less of me, (laughs) Empty me of those fleshly desires and those fleshly sins, the works of the flesh that hinder and distract. I want less of me, God, so that there's room for more of you, more of your glory in my life. Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or would like more information about following Jesus Christ, please contact us at gladtidings.church. If you live near Dunn, North Carolina, please consider visiting our church on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can also download our church app in the iTunes or Google Play app store and receive updates and notifications. You may use the app to make a financial gift to help support our ministry. God bless you.